Welcome to the last ones at the bar, where we're here to talk all things related to the sport of boxing. This week, Danny is away. So today it's the Veil and Will show. Let's get it popping. Yeah. Pick it, pick and roll flow. Malone and Stockton. Veil, what's going on with you, baby? Uh, nothing much, man. You know, uh, just coming off the the, the, the weekend. Actually, I'm still in the uh the extended weekend, the Labor Day weekend for all you workers out there, you know, putting that labor in, man, put your feet up, man, take some, take some time to, to, to rest, because I show where I'm going to do it, you know. Yeah, yeah, you get that rest in. Rest is always good, man. You got to recharge those batteries, you know, get yourself back together, get that mental health intact, you know. That'll, that'll add years to your life and life to your years. Uh, Vail, we got a, a pretty... That was a short show today. Um, before we get started, I was just thinking, man, you, you, you're originally from Detroit, right? Yes, I'm yeah, that's right. The home of the Crunk Gym. Um, how, how long have you been? In, you're in the DMV now. How long have you been in the DMV? Uh, since 2013, the summer of 2013, so nine years. Okay, okay. And um, did, had you lived anywhere previously? Uh, or was it from, straight from Detroit to, the, to nope. the East Coast? Nope, I never lived out of Michigan until until the time I moved to the DMV area. And that, that was it. Okay. If you don't mind me asking, my good brother, like, what, what's the main reason you moved out this way? Uh, well, if you want to get to history about Detroit, you know, it's, it's built off the auto industry. And you're taught career-wise to, to really – throw your eggs into that basket and go into the auto industry, regardless of whether it's accounting, management, supply chain management, engineering, that seems to be more your career path. So I, I did some automotive industry work uh, and I did, I wasn't really fond of the industry. So, uh, and of course I kept getting laid off. So uh, when I was hired into, uh, went to government contracting and again, you can go into covering contracting as an engineer, accounting, whatever you, way you want to go in there. Uh, it opened up a, it was a better career path and um, I saw more light at the end of the tunnel and I enjoyed myself more doing that particular type of work. So uh, when a particular contract was going to end, uh, they asked me, uh, they said if, they, if I wanted to move to, you know, the, the DMV area, that position is open. And I know I did not want to stay in it. I didn't want to go back to the auto industry. So that was hmm. mainly my reason. Got you, got you. If you don't mind me asking, this is the last question before we get off into what we're going to discuss today. And, you know, that's it's, it's different. Like, a lot of people don't know, because I'm from the Midwest as well. But for me, after I went to off the college, right, I never really officially moved back to my hometown. Like, I just, I came back, like, during the summers a lot. But as far as just me living there, I never really did, you know, so then I moved to different parts of the South. I was in Texas for about 14 years. Then I came here and I know noticed how the adjustment was for me coming from Texas because I was there 14 years. So just that lifestyle that was down there, it was total opposite of when I came out to the East Coast, the pace, you know, the cost of living and everything. For you, what, what was like one of the biggest adjustments that you had to uh, get accustomed to when you moved out this way from the Midwest? Man, just cost of living. That, that's the number one thing. And yeah, yeah, the cost of living is a lot higher. But at the same time, I think people in general in the DMV area are more 
uh, you know, career and professional minded. Uh, it's not as blue collar as Michigan. So sometimes I, I miss that about Detroit that is blue collar and it's every man and people are, you know, more down to earth uh, versus, you know, sometimes career minded, like places like DMV in New York, you know, people had their heads in the clouds and, you know, you walk past people, they only want to say hi to you and stuff like that. So it's one of the things I missed. And that was one of the adjustments that I had to make. Yeah, it's a gift and a curse because here everybody's so um, ambitious, you know, that, that's the main thing that they're thinking about is how they can get from this part to this level to that level. And a lot of times when you have conversations with people, that's what it's about. You know what I mean? It's, it's nothing more, nothing less. And people look at you at a certain way or in a certain way if you have this particular type of position or you make this type of money, you know what I mean? As opposed to like being back in the Midwest, I don't think that that was as important. You know what I mean? Like I remember going to TJF one time and I was talking to this lady and you know, the first thing is just, do you have a car? Do you, you know, that sort of thing, and, which was interesting. But for me, you know, like I say, coming from Milwaukee and then like I said, I lived other places prior to living in Dallas, but the, that Dallas was just fresh on my mind because I had lived there so long that it was like the pace here. Like I went to New York one time and I like, where the hell am I? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because as soon as I opened, like just even getting off the air, you know, leaving the airport and just how congested it was, how just, you know, things were just moving so quickly. And then it was very similar, not as bad here as it was there but working in DC, you know what I'm saying? The pace, like, and people just going to get at that hustle, you know what I mean, that they had, which I like, and it helped me as far as, you know, how I get things done now. Like, I don't, it, before, you know, I was more of a person who would take his time and do this. Now, I, I just be having everything, you know, done just like that because I'm just used to working at that pace now. And then the other thing, and everybody here, this is one of the highest areas in terms of education. So nine times out of 10, you're going to be talking to somebody who has this type of degree or they went to this university and all of that type of stuff. And then the more closer you get to D.C., everybody knows everybody's pretty smart. But you can talk to somebody who's off the street and they know about politics. They know about, you know, they got a whole conversation about those things. But I just thought I'd ask that question, man, because I know that you're from Detroit and uh, I never asked you that uh, before, but I appreciate that. The other thing, Bill, I know you're a hip hop head, man. A lot of times we had these conversations, you know, offline. And sometimes I'll be wishing that we had them online because they, <laughs> they, they, they go so in depth. But um, we were talking before, um, and I guess what I want to ask you is, who's the, who's the best rapper since Big's not here? <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting question. That, that question comes up a lot you know online and social media and thanks will for making me lose sleep thinking about this you know because <laughs> i put a lot of thought into this, this sometimes uh i was a big fan of, of both i was around i was a big hip-hop fan when both were you know on this earth you know putting their legacy in the, in the play um before we even get to who's the best sense sometimes we have to look at you know the 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 uh, atmosphere at that particular time and then go even go back. Um, because when I look at these two, it's always kind of, history always kind of get re rewritten. Uh, like, you know, I don't know if it's younger kids, or, sometimes people who 
around my age who don't really <laughs> don't remember well you know they're like man they were you know the whole time they were lying they were running it blah, 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 blah. um I, I i remember biggie when the radio die came out not really hitting hard at first it took a minute it took until big papa came out which was kind of early 95 uh if you didn't for history less ready diaries release i believe it was september of 94. um and then for tupac uh tupac came out in about 91 with apocalypse now 91 late 91 early 92 and it took him a minute also to catch on uh and when you look at the landscape of even who was big back then there were rappers who were more even more popular than they were i would argue that as far as uh popularity and competition wise that it wasn't even really between those two with each other i think those two kind of was more in competition with someone like uh snoop dogg who was people don't remember he was really really big back then and i, and I think one of the things kind of not his downfall but kind of what changed the the the, the, the lane for, for snoop dogg was Number one is legal issues that happened around that time. And then number two, Tupac coming to death row where Tupac really came for that throne that Snoop Dogg had as the guy in, in, in on the West Coast. And Snoop wasn't really like aware of that, you know. So you always had guys around that time who were, you know, either, either big or critically acclaimed. Like, you, you know, Ice Cube was around that time. People forget about his run from uh, 1990 till about 94 where he was, coming out with like four straight platinum albums and really he was the heart of nwa uh people forget how big he was and you had other guys like scarface was out then too but then you go before that you know ll you know saying another guy who could be considered the goat you know your favorite rapper probably started off rapping like ll i mean everybody who was rapping in the 90s or you know or even after that we hear about people like Mystico saying when they start writing rhymes, they wrote it like LL. You got Rakim, another guy, a lot of people pattern themselves off, pattern themselves off of Big Daddy Kane, KRS One, who I think Tupac some he somewhat kind of had a, a KRS One lane. Like, you know, he was getting some stuff from KRS One also. One guy that don't always get mentioned, Will Smith. People hate on Will Smith because of his style. But I mean, do some research. He's the he's probably the only rapper I can't think of one other rapper who had a big career right fell off and a decade later came back bigger than what he was I, I can't think of a rapper who actually did that yet so you have those guys and then you go into the future right after big and pop you have you know dmx you know a guy that changed the game a little bit uh you got eminem who changed the game a little bit very lyrical cat hey, can, uh, I, can i can i pause you for a second Bill? yeah for one, can you really mention Will Smith with the greatest rappers? Can, can, yeah, can yeah, but, but this way, but I, 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 I was, I'm not, I'm not going to say yes or no. I'll just say this: hmm. Go look up Tupac Shakur rapping. Parents don't understand with Jada Pickett. He was a fan. Your favorite rappers, rappers, Will Smith. He was rapping Will Smith. I'm sure he was. I heard uh, him rapping some um mc hammer before too you know but I, I don't think that he would consider mc hammer and i don't think mc hammer would consider himself or will smith considered himself as the top rappers no i was just you know I, i'll let you finish the other the other thing too 
is, is this as well, is that, um, and then DMX, right? Mm -hmm. DMX is no longer here as well. So I guess the point is who out of the living artists that could be considered? I'm, I'm getting to that, man. You gotta let me get to that, man. Right, right. But I'm saying you you mentioned guys who are deceased, you know, guys who like lyrically aren't really up the standard. I have you know? my reasons why I, I list those guys there in the conversation. Uh, one of the reasons that rap is even you can even win a Grammy for rap is because of Will Smith. And he remember he boycotted the Grammys, you know what I'm saying? He took a stand before all these other people even took a stand. He was right there with NWA taking a stand. So that's so then that would be like, okay, so Vanilla Ice can be considered one of the top guys too, because he had one of the Vanilla Ice selling. didn't do anything like that. I mean, but I'm not talking about biggest of, selling, I'm talking about inspirational. And 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 I mean, we look at Will Smith, listen to his rhyme. He got he got some darts in there, you know what I'm saying? Too. You know what I'm saying? I think the best, the biggest darts he had was when he was fighting off Brock Kempstock. Hey, I, I, I digress. Oh, but, hey, go ahead, go ahead, sir. Go hey, ahead, your sir. favorite, your favorite rap. I'm pretty sure your favorite rapper didn't bit off Scarface, and they probably didn't bit off Kooji rap. You know what I'm saying? So then we go to, and then one of the things I I look at too is rappers who can do what what I can't do or what other rappers can't do. And one guy, people don't really put him up there. Some people don't know about him, but I always put Feral Mock in Feral Mach in there, and and. Because he can do the, I look at rap as almost like a sport, and I and if, if what's a sport when when a person can do what anybody can do? Like one of the lure watching Michael Jordan is is Michael Jordan. I mean, he was doing things that a normal human being can't do. So with Pharaoh Munch, I mean, he his rhyme schemes and the stuff that he does. I mean, if anybody wanna 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 question that. Go listen to Stray Bullet off of Organized Confusion's second album. Listen to it, write the lyrics down, understand the lyrics, and then wrap them back to yourself and see if you can do it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So then we go from there. You go into you, you always have my personal favorite who is Nas. You know, he's always in that conversation. Uh, very lyrical cat, always puts stuff in his rhymes. You know, Jay, I, I was a big fan of Jay, even though I didn't really like him at first, but or another rapper to gain my respect that's big and then you go into today uh you have guys like uh j cole um and interesting thing about j cole j cole actually opened the way for kendrick lamar because uh j cole actually came out more pop and he made a conscious decision to go the other way and put more weight in his rhymes and i think that changed the trajectory of his career uh because people don't remember he did he did come up with that song that sampled uh, Paul Abdul's song and, and, and a lot of people didn't catch on to him uh, that well until probably a second album and then you go to guys like Kendrick Lamar so um, to answer the question directly I'm gonna always go for my personal favorite I'm gonna go for Nas he's still living he's still putting out albums uh, I still listen to him to this day oh, thank you sir now uh, it, so we'll just for the sake of time I'll just say this, that when it comes to who's the best, in my opinion, it's only about four or five guys that you can legitimately say. If, if you can add in people like KRS, right? But as far as it was only a certain level of success, so it's just like a pound for pound list to me. Like you gotta have certain uh, criteria and it depends on the criteria that you create, but the guys who really can have a case 
for being the best rapper. And I just said, who's the best rapper since Big's not here? Because that's something that Jada could say. But I think that he's one that could be make a claim as being the best. I think Nas can make the claim as being the best. I think Scarface can make the claim as being the best. I think Lil Wayne has a case of making the claim that he's the best. And then I also think that Drake has a claim at being the best, although I think it's a huge strike on him when it was found out that somebody was writing some of his rhymes. And so I don't think that you can really be considered, me personally, but as far as a level of success and a long run that he's had. Now, as far as just in the fake, Jay-Z, if I didn't mention him, Jay-Z definitely has a claim at um, being the best. You know what I'm saying? Um, now, as far as who I just like, those guys that I just mentioned, you know, I love Andre 3000. I love Corrupt, his lyrical prowess. I like Cameron, Fabulous is very underrated. Sean P, I can listen to, you know, Kendrick, Snoop. Oh man, Snoop had a run like at that one, like 92, 93, he was just on fire, man. Um, Redman, Raekwon, Ghostface, Pimp C was one of my favorite, and some of the other South, Southern artists, uh, Jeezy and, and T.I. So that rounds out my list of guys that I like, and then also the people who I think have a legitimate claim at being the best rapper. Now, as far as today's show. Um, oh, yeah, today, yeah, I got I to gotta, gotta ask some more in there. <laughs> <we're> <laughs> we brought up, no, you brought up some other cats, man. So, and, it, and that was one of the points that I probably forgot to make. Uh, when people say it, it's again, it's revisionist history, and they say that Biggie saved New York rap, <laughs> and I hear that a lot. And people forget, you know, what I'm saying it's almost disrespectful to a group like Wu Tang, who was out at that particular time and who really took that mantle and really brought respect to the East Coast before Biggie was out. When you had, you know, you had Meth on that team, you had Ghost on that team, you had Ray on that team, and then you had other cats like Red Man who was still. You know, doing it around that time before Biggie came out, and and I'm not saying that Biggie didn't put some shine on New York and that he wasn't doing what he was doing, but lots. Of, but to say that he saved even even a guy like Tretch to say that Biggie saved you know East Coast rap is kind of disrespectful to those cats. I don't think so. I think it, he did. I think I think those guys. Um, I think that you you I can see where somebody's coming from. I, I can't say whether or not that's true or that's false. But as far as it got to a point when I would have conversations with people, it was only two people that they would listen to. And I'm like, dude, you're not listening to 8-Ball MJG. You're not listening to Wu-Tang. You're not listening. They were like, no, I'm, I mess with Biggie. Or you'd be a person who's staunch on listening to Tupac. At one time, you know what I mean? I know where I'm from, that that's how I was. And then the places that I was going to school at at the time. So, you know, with those songs like uh, Juicy and, and um, you know, those commercial songs that he had, like they just took off and they made him like this uh, universal superstar that people like Michael Jackson was willing to work with. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, that's, that's a good conversation. Hopefully we can have more of these in the future or we can start something about hip hop because we're getting a little bit lengthy with the introduction and we do want to discuss the following topics. You know, we want to recap uh, the Ruiz Ortiz fight, the Cruz Ramirez fight, um, and then we'll also, which that fight card was fought in the City of Angels on Sunday. Um, and so, Vil, what do you think about the main event? Oh, man. So this fight, Andy Ruiz versus Louis Ortiz, it was an interesting fight, a slow pace at times. Uh, both both fighters, they, they, they feet, 
it, it looked like cement. <laughs> I mean, neither of them had like any type of footwork going on. Uh, but, but, but it was interesting, you know, starting out, I thought that uh, Ortiz was controlling the fight when he wasn't getting hurt. Uh, and he, he was definitely outboxing uh, Ruiz most of the fight. Um, it, it was just those certain rounds, like round two, where, you know, Ruiz put Ortiz down uh, twice. I, I think even the second knockdown was more so a result of Ortiz being hurt because uh, he hasn't he hadn't recovered. Um, but they scored a 10-7 round. But I thought that 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 Ortiz was doing well, you know, throwing that jab out there and hitting Ruiz with the one-two. Uh, Ruiz was really trying to look for that 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 big shot, and I thought that was his downfall. And he didn't really look in, in shape to me. I mean, not as far as look, but as far as, you know, the way he was fighting, uh, he seemed a, a bit behind, a bit slow afoot. Uh, he didn't seem active, didn't, didn't seem like to – like he wanted to throw any type of a lot of volume he was fighting in sport in spurts and, and the only time he'll really come alive is when he would catch ortiz with something that would hurt him but i thought that that ruiz did give a, a, a good account of himself i think i think it was maybe the, the seventh or eighth round when he put uh, ortiz down again um and i think ortiz got cut late in the fight i mean well, his eye was puffing up late in the fight and closing up but all in all i thought that uh, it was kind of a sloppy fight to me, you know, neither guy really fought their best, but I thought that Ortiz actually edged this fight and won it. Uh, I thought it was, a, it was a close fight because of the knockdowns making it close, but I thought that Ortiz possibly edged this fight by by maybe a, a point, but who knows, maybe it maybe there, there'll be a rematch, but Ortiz really didn't look like, his legs didn't look like it was there though, so I'm not, I'm not sure how much better he would do in a rematch, you know. That's as much as I have to say. Yeah, I thought it was a, it was a pretty good fight between the two guys. You know, it, it was it was a good scrap, but I think a lot of the things that you mentioned is because one of Ortiz's age and the lack of um, consistency with the fights that he's had. Like he's, he's been relatively inactive. And then you add in the factor that he's getting up there in age, that it's only so much that he's gonna be able to do. And then you got Ruiz who's coming off a pretty lengthy layoff. And he's, he's a wild card in terms of how well he's gonna be coming into shape, but I, I didn't look at it, the fight, in terms of round by round. I just know that Ortiz was doing well outside of the rounds where he was getting dropped. And Ruiz, he was – the interesting thing about this fight to me is typically when you got that righty-lefty thing going on, that the lefty typically has the advantage – when it comes to landing big shots, but it was the opposite. It was more so Ruiz, anytime that he was pressing the gas and he was trying to like throw his, his, his bigger punches, he, it favored him and he was knocking Ortiz down when they got in, in, in those type of exchanges for the most part. And then when it came to just like outright boxing, 
Like Ortiz was doing a better job of that throughout the fight, but he got knocked down twice, which gave Ruiz at least, at the very least, is a 10-7 round. And then he dropped him again, which gave him and, – and Ortiz was coming on. It was like, okay, he, he he knocked him down. But now Ortiz is like, really, if you just adding the points up, this fight is really getting close. Then he got knocked down again. So that was the interesting thing about it. I just felt like, you know, if they do it again, who knows what's going to happen if Ortiz would be able to already kind of figure out what he's he's up against and and not be susceptible to getting knocked down again. I don't know. I just I just what I do know is this is that so Ruiz won. And just moving forward, I don't like his chances against the upper echelon guys because for one, I don't see um Usyk even wanting to fight somebody like Ruiz. And then if he does fight somebody like uh, Tyson Fury, I don't like his chances against a Tyson Fury at all. You know what I'm saying? He just doesn't have the same, that enough punch output, you know, in order to, to, to be able to defeat somebody like that. And I just think that Tyson Fury is just heads and shoulders above him, you know, as far as what it is that he brings to the table. But, you know, all in all, I was I was entertained because it was a highly – um, it, it was a very good matchup between those two guys. But what I will say is this, you know, my last thing that I will say is this, is that I think that without Luis Ortiz going through what he went through as far as the attrition of his career, the age that he's at now, I think that he would have definitely been able to beat Andy Ruiz, if he was more so in his prime, like if both guys were in their prime, I would definitely favor Ortiz. I just think that Ruiz was catching him at the right time. You got anything else you want to say as far as that's concerned, Bill? Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, if I was Deontay Wilder, I would take and I would take that Ruiz fight after the cleanest fight before I go on to take the, the you know, if Usyk wins, take the Usyk Tyson Fury winner. That's what I would do if I was Deontay Wilder, because that's actually, to me, if that Ruiz, you know, shows up, I think Wilder could possibly flatten him pretty much. I would favor Wilder, but you do you think this, though? Do you think that that would prepare him or help him, you know, face one of those guys? Because Ruiz is kind of like, he's like a short little dude for the heavyweight division. You know what I'm saying? Like, he does have fast hands, though, too. And if he comes in shape, he'll have some fast hands. And, but I think that's a, a better fight to get, you know, Wilder acclimated before he moves on instead of just jumping directly back into that fold. Yeah, what I'm saying is, is this, is that is that preparing him for either one of those guys because Ruiz, what he brings to the table, isn't anything that those guys do. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's say, for instance... We're trying to figure out. So let's say, for instance, Usyk is victorious against Tyson Fury, which I favor Tyson Fury. And I don't think Tyson Fury, I would see Tyson Fury letting it go after. I, I think both guys, like Usyk and Fury, after, depending on how the fight comes out, depending on the outcome, I think that both guys will let it go before they would face 
anybody else because Wilder really isn't, you don't have to face him. You know what I'm saying? Like, it don't even really make any, it's, it's just the risk outweighs the reward. If you somebody like a Usyk, if he's victorious, Usyk just went right off to the sunset because he did everything he needed to do, you know, and then Tyson Fury, why would I fight, fight Deontay Wilder again? It don't make any sense because I feel like I beat him three times. Um, so that would only lead to <laughs> he beat Tyson Fury three times. <laughs> no, no, he didn't defeat the Tyson. I'm saying it would be the opposite. I would think Tyson oh, okay. Fury felt like he won three times against right, right, right. Against Deontay Wilder. Right. Why would I put myself in a position to have to face this dude again? You know, it, it would be like it'd be tough to get up for another fight like that. So I don't know. Maybe if the belts have been relinquished and everything, and then he just decides to go in that direction, whatever, um, perhaps, you know what I mean? But all in all, man, I thought it was a good fight card because you had, you know, Abner Mares, he fought to a, you know, draw. And then you had the other fight, man. What did you think about Pitbull Cruz? <laughs> I wasn't expecting that shorter with night, but it, it was shorter with night. You know, Pitbull, you know, he came out very, very uh, aggressive. Uh, just went right at a, a Ramirez. I, I definitely didn't expect that. I thought it would be a longer fight. Uh, if Cruz was going to stop him, I thought it would be late, but I thought it would probably go to decision. But he just came out just, just very, very aggressive. Really wanted to make a statement, uh, and he really made that statement. And he, he showed that I'm not just some, you know, young fluke of the lightweight division. I'm, I'm, I'm somebody, you know, so I'm, you know, this person is not on my level. I, I, I deserve a certain level opponent so in the second round he dropped Ramirez with this uh hard left hook uh Ramirez fell you know face down into onto the mat and that's never a good thing uh he, he barely got up and then Cruz just basically just jumped on him where he just where Ramirez just couldn't weather the storm and he fell down again uh Bill you don't want to mess around again show against the pit bull man like the pit bull is a, that's what he is I mean Hey, he lock on you, dog. Like he fights like a pit bull too. And I mean, he lock on you. It's a wrap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's I don't know. It it, it it makes that. And you know what? As much as we we give we we give uh Tank Davis a lot of stuff. You know that that win is gonna look may look better on uh, time. Well, well, well. I'm gonna say he, <laughs> he he created this get this thing on bull. Like that's what he did because he was trying to cherry pick because. Like, did you think that he had a shot against Tank when they were about to fight each other? No, I, I'm be honest. I mean, you you could probably you know look up our past recordings. I, what I probably predicted was a third round brutal KO by Durante Davis. I didn't think they they styles matched up well at all because he's coming into the power, and then I'm sure that's what they're thinking. It's like, oh man, this dude's gonna walk into something. We're gonna get him. We're gonna brutally annihilate this dude. But what they did was they created a monster. They created a, a dang old monster. So when Pitbull got through Tank Davis and he gave him all that type of trouble, they put a battery in, in um, Pitbull back. Now you're giving him confidence. And then as he's moving forward, he don't even know how good he is. Like, he don't know. <laughs> but I go through Tank Davis. This dude is supposed to be like the upper echelon guy in the lightweight division. And... You know, 
I may very well have beaten him. I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like I did, but you know, mm-hmm. they said I didn't. Now I'm honing my, my craft. I'm getting better. You know what I'm saying? And he's just like on one right now. Like you can't tell him anything. So I think even now I saw Tank at the fight. <laughs> but I think now if they decide to move in that direction and, and give Pitbull that rematch, they may be in, in some in, – in, they may need to reconsider that, like just based on Tank's career. Like he hasn't faced anybody who really – had that confidence coming in like legitimately that you know I feel like I'm, I'm gonna win this fight like I, you know you got Roly and you know Roly's just on some other stuff but <laughs> at the same time like really having a skill and a know-how and understanding and you know really has like he's starting to develop a resume too so you know, with that being said, like for Tank Davis, I don't know. Like I, that's that's the that's the situation that they putting themselves in, where they're not really facing the upper echelon guys, like not choosing the best of the best to really hone their skills to be able to compete at that level. But they allow these other dudes to be able to, you know start to figure out like you know i really can compete at that level and stuff like that and i might potentially be able to beat tank davis i don't know what direction tank is going to go you know what i'm saying like moving forward because it doesn't seem like he wants to face Devin haney um they're stalling as far as the negotiations with ryan garcia so if they do decide because that's somebody that's in there um you know as far as like pbc as far as Al Heyman and stuff like that's somebody that they can go ahead and, and choose to pick the fight. And I don't think that there's anybody else out there that the fans will support. I don't know. You create a monster, you know what I'm saying? When, when you, when you do those type of things. So, you know, with that being said, he looked good tonight, but what I will say this, Bill, is that going into the fight, I already thought it was a recipe for disaster for his opponent because his opponent was somebody who really fought at the lower weight classes and he was somebody who likes to mix it up a lot. And you can't, I don't see Pitbull losing to somebody that's smaller than him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and then you want to really just go in there and scrap it out with somebody. No, that's that's not a good, that's not a good way to go into a fight, you know what I mean, as far as a game plan is concerned. And I don't know, I, I thought that he would wipe the floor with him. I don't know if I thought it was that close. I mean, I, I don't know if I thought it was that early, but I did think that he was gonna get him out of there because I just didn't see any other path for the guy to get a victory because he never showed me anything other than trying to scrap with the fighters that he was facing. You know what I'm saying? I thought it may be like three rounds or something like that. But, you know, I went, check this out, Bill. I went outside, you know, to give me a little break of the action because I was watching all the stuff from seven o'clock. So then I was like, and then I was I was doing some other stuff too. And then when I went out there, my partner, he was like, he texted me, he's like, man, pit bulls, like he did this thing. And I'm like, dude, the fight over with. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And you know, pit bull did what he had to do. 
anything else you got as far as that's concerned? No, sir. Props to uh, Mr. Bullethead, you know, and we, we mean that all in, in, in fandom and love. Y'all do. I don't, I don't <laughs> be talking about the man like that. I think the man, I don't know about his head. What I do know <laughs> is that dude can fight, though. You know? All right, so what did you think about uh, the Juan Francisco Estrada and Argy Cortez fight? Man, this fight was very entertaining. I mean, I, I actually liked this fight, and, and it went similar to how I thought it was going to go. Um, some things I didn't expect, but for the most part, I, I, I believe that Cortez was going to give Estrada some work and give him a, a, a little bit of trouble. Uh, the, the thing that I was surprised is how Estrada came out. He came out really, really confident. Uh, he came out very, very, very sharp. I mean, he was you know, throwing hooks and landing to Cortez, you know, body and head and, and really being able to get out of the way of some of Cortez's shots early on. I, it was, especially after the first round, it was like, man, I didn't think this fight was going to actually even go a distance. I was like, man, uh, Cortez is getting, getting outclassed. But it was something that Cortez was doing uh, that I did, I did like from him. And I think it's going to even, may even give guys trouble in the future is that, he, he has a dog in him that he's always like, you're not going to, if, if, if you win this exchange, you might win this exchange, but you ain't going to come out of this without like nothing, you know? And he will always try to get some get back, throw that one last shot in there and it'd be a hard shot. And sometimes he would catch Estrada upside his head and snap his head back. Um, and at first it looked like Estrada was just riding those punches very, very well. Um, and then about the, I guess the, the, the third or fourth round, I think uh, Cortez really started warming up and, and really got to his uh, rhythm. The fourth round in particular, like he hurt Estrada for a, a little bit and was teeing off of, on him for a portion of that round. And I think the round five, I think it was almost around uh, round of the year cont uh, contender. I thought it was very, very entertaining. Um, and, and Cortez was still doing what he does as far as ending those combinations. And, 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 uh, it's funny because he's ending Estrada's combination with his one shot that would like, you know, just giving Estrada something to think about. Uh, Estrada really turned it up in the, in the seventh round. I thought that Estrada was showing like why he's a champion and showing why he's on that level. Because when Cortez started to, you know, bring the heat and start heating up, Estrada would match that energy or go higher. And he really hurt uh, Cortez in the, in the seventh round and dropped him with a body shot. Uh, actually, I thought that this fight was going to end in either the, the end of the seventh or beginning of the eighth. Uh, but Estrada was, was so good at, at doing what he does that he kept himself in the fight where, I mean, Cortez was so good at doing what he does that he kept himself in the fight where Estrada was always wary of getting caught with that shot between his shots or the shot after he, that Estrada lands his combinations that Cortez was able to see the final bail. Um, but it was an entertaining fight. I didn't think it was like, a, uh, even though it was a warrior, a split decision for Estrada, I thought it was a unanimous decision. Uh, I only gave Cortez maybe the middle rounds. And I think Estrada really did good in the, in the beginning and really down the stretch of this fight. But uh, Cortez, he just really fought his heart out, especially around, I think, the 11th round. He just fought his heart out. And I, I think he's going to be... He's going to be a force to reckon with, even if he's not like a champion or anything big comes from this. I think he's going to be a force to reckon with as an opponent for any of the guys at, at 115.
Yeah, I don't I don't agree with that, Bill. I think that he was catching a dude that was on an 18-month layoff who was a little overconfident, you know, rusty, and was kind of fighting down to the level of his competition. That's what I saw. And then somebody else, somebody who's aging as well. And he's a young, spry little dude. You know what I mean? He was looking like a, a, a little Bam Rodriguez to a certain degree with less pop. And the difference in this fight between the two was that Estrada just had that experience to be able to, and he's a very good counter puncher. So although his timing was off a little bit and his reflexes just wasn't sharp, he still at certain points, he was able to hang in there and then deliver a shot that was much more um, powerful than what Cortez was hitting him with. Although Cortez was like winding up and, you know, looked like he was, almost throwing a kitchen sink at him. You know what I'm saying? At certain points, and he was hitting him upside the head. Estrada, if he was some in there with somebody with just a little bit more power, he would have really, really been in trouble yesterday. To me, that was the toughest fight that he had. You know, I know the Chocolatito fight, the last one that he he, he uh, was declared the victor, victor in, that was a, a tough fight. But this probably was just as tough as the fight that he had when he lost to Rumbasai, you know, several years ago. He was in there. That was a good fight, man. That was like one of the best fights I've seen. Yesterday when I came back, um, I actually took a little nap. I woke up and it was the seventh round. And so that's all I saw at the time. And I was like, dang, what's coming show? But I heard what the announcers were saying was that, oh, now he's coming on or something like that. So I, I understood that the fight had to have been close. But I saw that little part where he dropped him. And then I was, I was like, oh, he got this in the bag. So I went back to sleep. I was like, I catch it in the morning. So I, when I saw it today, I was very impressed with the little fella, uh, Cortez, with what he was doing. I thought that all the rounds, to me, were very competitive, with the exception of the seventh round. The seventh round was the only round that I saw that was definitive for one guy over the other. Now, it was rounds that I saw where I was like, yeah, I think that Estrada won that. But I also thought that you could make the case for Cortez and vice versa, you know, in, in a lot of those rounds. But it was a very good fight. Um, this sets up the much anticipated third go round between Juan Francisco Estrada and Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez. They're set to fight December 3rd, you know, um, to for all the marbles, basically. You know, the Chocolatito won in 2012 and then about like I say, 18 months ago, maybe you know, close to two years ago, you had um, Estrada getting a close victory, first close controversial victory over Chocolatito. So we'll see what happens in this one. But based on what I saw yesterday, unless he, um, and again, he's fighting down to the level of competition. I, I can understand that. You know, sometimes for me, you know, when I look at things, the best way for me to understand it is put myself in a situation that is similar to what I'm seeing these boxers go through. I remember being a, a ball player, right? And playing at, at a high level against highly skilled guys. When I played against those highly skilled guys, antennas up, you're really, you know, focused in and locked in on each possession because you know if you don't, it could go bad for you. And so you want to make sure that you are winning each and every possession. And uh, most of the times, 99.9% of those times, I was successful. And when people saw me perform against that high level competition, it was like, dang, he's better than dude. Or um, 
it, it I'll definitely uh, look better to like the observers. They be like, dang, dude, it's nice. But now if you see me going against somebody and like, I'm like, this dude can't really that good. I'm just going to go ahead and, and pick it up when I need to. Then you're not going to be able to get the full view of the skill level that I possess against somebody who's not uh, bringing that out of me. And so I think that that's what it was with Estrada. He's been in so many big fights. Chocolate Cito, Rombosad, Quadras. You know what I mean? It's tough to get up for somebody who has a, a small amount of knockouts, two losses, three draws. You see him fight, you're like, this ain't no way in the world this dude can beat me. I can just turn it on, turn it on. But I do need to get in the ring and shake off some of this rust before I fight and get really prepared for Chocolatito. So I can see him performing better against Chocolatito. I just think that Chocolatito, as far as just the body rhythm and everything, he kind of has a Stratus number. Um, and I, I thought that it might be a little bit different after 2012 based on the direction and trajectory of both guys' careers. But it still looked like he um, has the upper hand when it comes to Estrada. What say you, Fed? What do you think about that uh, rematch that's going to take place in December? Yeah, it's funny. And I was excited that 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 fight was announced like right <laughs> when Estrada's fight with uh, Cortez ended. Right. Like, that's like that's that's like UFC. That's what yeah, UFC man. does. You know what I'm saying? Like, the only time I've seen that kind of done it was when. Uh, when Canelo beat Chavez Jr. and they brought Triple G out. But then again, that was probably already in the works. This one, I had no knowledge that this was going to happen. And they basically was like, December 3rd, they had the date there and set. Uh, so what happens in this fight, man? I, I think Estrada lost a little bit more than, even based off the last fight, he lost a little bit more than Gonzalez. Even though, you know, Estrada won that fight, I thought Gonzalez, I thought Gonzalez uh, really edged him and deserved the victory. Uh, and even then, he seems it's weird because I think the lo Gonzalez loss to uh, Soromasai for some reason I don't think I think that gave him some rest or brought him down to earth. Where I think that this fight would probably look kind of similar to like uh, the second fight between Pacquiao and Eric Morales, and I think that Gonzalez is probably going to stop Estrada uh, late, very very late, and like one of the fight of the year contenders like they normally do. But I think that that wear and tear is gonna uh is gonna come back and bite Estrada. That'd be interesting. One thing I did notice about Estrada on um Saturday night was although the young man Cortez was quicker and it seemed like it was taking a lot for him to um kind of keep pace with him. When he did drop him in the seventh, I'm looking at his win. And he seemed like he never really like was was gasping for breath at any moment. It just seemed like some something just wasn't there yesterday. And like I said, I can attribute it to probably the rust uh, and being out so long, you know, and he's fighting against this young dude. See, that's the other thing as well. Like when you're an older fighter, some guys can do that where they can fight a younger guy and you won't really notice the difference because they just know how to time the dude and, you know, they might just be a little bit too powerful and they, they are mitigating everything that he's trying to do. Like when he was body shots or just throw his timing off where he's not just winging those shots. Cause yesterday or Saturday, Cortez was just winging shots. Like he was bringing it to, you know, um, 
Estrada a lot, which I didn't expect that. Like I say, going into the fight with the lack of KO power that he had, and it, it surprised me. But it just seemed like Estrada at this stage of his career, he might want to stay away from after the Chagatito fight. I don't know what his plans are, but a fighter like Ben Rodriguez is all wrong for him because he's too quick. He's too spry. He doesn't have enough, like, beating out of him yet. You know what I'm saying? Where they're they just too young and, and, and got too much vigor. You know what I mean? So, you know, luckily for him yesterday, the guy just didn't have enough power really to, you know, affect him in a way that it, it, it could have went bad for him. Um, but hopefully that was just the fact that we saw a lot of rust and that he'll perform better against Chocolate Tito because those guys are made for each other and you want to see them at their best, you know, when they when they compete against one another. Oh, the other thing that I want to mention, though, you, you talked about Choc not Canelo and Triple G when he came out, I think you said against uh, Julio Cesar Chavez. Now, I remember a while ago when Pernell Whitaker defeated Buddy McGirt. And I remember like right after that fight, Letterman, um, nah, it, he was getting interviewed, right? And so when he was getting interviewed after, you know, he was talking about, you know, what happened in the fight with McGirt, they were like, well, we got some news. Uh, you're going to be fighting Julio Cesar Chavez next. And so it, it, he was like, did you know that? He was like, no, nah, that's, that's news to me. He said, but that's good news. And so that's when they set that fight up. Chavez wasn't there at the time, but they set that up September 10th of that year. I think he fought, um, I think he fought McGirt maybe in June or May or something like that. But I remember that as well. Anything else you got on the Strata fight uh, in Cortez? No, sir. So next, next Saturday, uh, also on the card with uh, Clarissa Shields and Savannah Marshall. We have a, a, a very interesting and entertaining fight in my eyes that we're going to see against Michaela Meyer against Alicia Baumgartner. Hey, Will, what are your thoughts on this fight and who you got winning? Yeah, and we'll get to the Shields. Uh, we'll discuss the main event. It's just that we've already done a prediction on that, and we'll just go ahead and uh, briefly state what our uh, – predictions are on that fight shortly after this. But in this fight, uh, Mayer and Baumgartner, it's for the undisputed, all the belts at 130. Um, you got Michaela Meyer, or Mayer. She's 32 years of age, 5'9". She has a 66-inch reach. Her record is 17-0 with five KOs. I believe she has a 24 or 29% KO ratio. And then you got Alicia Baumgartner, who's 28 years old. She is 5'6". I didn't see her reach in on box rec. And she has a record of 12-1 with seven KOs. And she has a 53% KO ratio. So again, this is for all the marbles at 130. And it's going to be a 10-round clash on September 10th. Now, as far as what each fighter likes to do, you got uh, Mayor. She uh, last fought against Jennifer Hahn. She scored a 10-round unanimous decision in April. Also, uh, Baumgartner fought in April, and she had a 10-round unanimous decision against Edith uh, Matisse. Mayer. Mayer is a volume puncher, man. She's very resilient. She also um, is resilient. She's a come-forward type fighter. Uh, pretty good 
on the inside. She can mix it up pretty good. You know, she likes to throw combinations and her, her conditioning is, is really good. And she's very determined and she shows a lot of grit. What I noticed about her though, is that she's very susceptible uh, to getting clipped and she get hit, she gets hit a lot, you know, but she has tons of heart, man. She, she, she's one of those all out warriors, you know, anytime that she has, you know, been in trouble or anything like that, she just fights her mouthpiece and just fights her way through. She's the old blood and guts, you know, it, but she she's, has some talent and she has that Olympic pedigree as well. But I think the biggest attribute that she has in this fight against Baumgartner, who they call a bomb, is that she's a, what you see from round one, she's gonna be have that same level of energy and stamina in the last round. And then also she may even pick it up a little bit more. Um, now, as far as Baumgartner, Baumgartner, she's highly skilled, man. She has excellent footwork. Uh, she's a good all-around fighter, very slick. You know, I was reading some comments and one of the comments said that she has like this Roy Jones slickness to her. And she does, you know, she does some really, really cool stuff inside the ring. Very good power, speed, accuracy, great inside fighting, uh, good body work, jab, you know, uses angles, nice defense. And she has a, a nice punch out foot as well. You know, and the thing about her, the biggest red flag that I see with her is the stamina. Like sometimes towards the middle parts of the fight that she kind of slows down considerably, you know. I don't know like as of recent, but the fights that I've seen her, it, it's not the talent, it's not the chin, it's not any of those things. It's just the fact that she kind of gets a little bit more sloppy um, as the fight you know go, goes on um so i think that when you look at both combatants that mayor has the better resume you know but i think for each lady that they're both going to be the best opponent that each has faced up to this point in their career my prediction i think this is a 50 50 fight i think that if, if Baumgartner can sustain like close to the same level of energy towards the middle, latter part of the fight, I think that she will win this easily. But my biggest concern for her is once she gets tired and sloppy and you fight somebody who's as consistent as Mayor, like what's going to happen then? Um, Mayor is a, is a pretty, you know, um, high favorite going into this fight. But I'm gonna put a little bit of money on Baumgartner. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say Baumgartner by ten round decision, but it's gonna be close. It's gonna be a good fight, and I look forward to it. Yeah, yeah, good breakdown. It's it's, it's an interesting fight. Uh, Meyer, very very tough, very determined. Sometimes she doesn't even look impressive when she's you know fighting. She looks predictable, and sometimes. And sometimes she can she can look monotone and, and just doing the same thing over and over, but it's very effective. And we have someone that's determined and coming at you, just keep keep coming. Uh, sometimes it's very very uh, it, it can make fighters uncomfortable, especially someone who fights somewhat in, in the style of uh, Alicia Baumgarter, because just looking at him, this this fight is more about styles than anything else. Because just looking at him individually. Baumgartner is very, very, like, slick, very talented. I think she's probably slicker than Clarissa Shields as far as how she moves. She, she has 
interesting head movement. She put her head out there and kind of lure fighters in and, and catching with these uh, counter shots. Um, and even the shot that she caught Terry Harper with, Harper probably never even saw it. You know, she was out on her feet. Uh, but Baumgartner, you know, she does struggle a little bit with fighters who are kind of offbeat, you know, um, especially if they're pressure fighters. Uh, but it, but not just any pressure fighter. It'll take an educated pressure fighter to beat Baumgartner. Someone who doesn't really waste shots, who's giving putting that pressure out there. When I look at the fight, the fight that she that uh, Baumgartner did lose, uh, the lady she lost against was very very was using some you know doing some things you know making uh, Baumgartner very uncomfortable. Even though Baumgartner's face was just she had this poker face, but you know she. That her opponent was using some some very good educated pressure and catching her with shots, you know, picking you know picking those shots, but still putting that pressure there, making her feel uncomfortable. Uh, Meyer does have that ability, but, but I'm not looking at how Baumgartner, you know, moves and her skill, her skill set and her footwork. Uh, I do think Baumgartner will pull this decision out. Uh, I'm I'm gonna be surprised if both girls hurt each other in this fight. Uh, even Meyer, you know, with her low uh, KO rate, I think she has ability to, to at least make Baumgartner think about some stuff, but not enough to really, like, put a damper on what Baumgartner is going to do. And I think Baumgartner's style is going to allow her to, you know, um, work in spots and boxing spots. She's going to outbox McCallum Meyer for a decision, and she'll be the uh, unified super featherweight women's boxing champion. That's my point. Undisputed. I think one of the belts are it might not be on the line. I'm not sure which one it is. WBA, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's what she was saying. She was saying she was going to get the undisputed belt. She was on, on doing Henry. But anyway, okay. um, one, one thing I, I was going to say is that you were talking about Baumgartner and her, like she might be slicking the shields. One thing that she does have more than shields that power her. Like that's not even like a question. And sometimes when shields, shields sometimes kind of, um, she might slap a little bit, you know, when she gets off on somebody and she's like in, in an exchange and she letting you have it a little bit, she might sort of like pity patch where Baumgartner is going to be hitting you with some heavy stuff. You know what I'm saying? She has that Serrano, not as, as powerful as Serrano, but she got that thump in her shots, you know. And then you also mentioned Mayer as far as she has enough power to get your respect but one thing she does have is major strength like i noticed how she's pretty strong for that weight class and that's the thing that i'm concerned for Baumgartner as far as getting tired where she can rough her up a little bit in clinches and things like that where it's, it's, it could be a daunting task when you have somebody who's who has that physical or that physicality like she has um and when you're hitting her that she's not going anywhere you know what I'm saying? But the other thing about Baumgartner, and I think like the elephant in the room, she bad, man. That's a, that's a pretty lady right there. You know what I'm saying? So I, I kind of root for her, you know, from that standpoint. Uh, just so, you know, people don't be coming for me. I didn't say that Baumgartner is just clearly better than she is. I just say it's, she's slicker. Uh, and, she, and when you're making that comparison, uh, one thing that Clarissa Shields has that Baumgartner doesn't have is, is as you said will you know she was way more focused and sharper 
you know, for 12 rounds and her eyes is always there. She's always looking, you know what I'm saying? Baumgartner sometimes seemed to box in spots and sometimes that stamina would come into play. Uh, and she might use her, she might lose some of that, you know, that, that effectiveness over time. So Baumgartner is very, very slick. And one of the slickest I've seen in women, women's boxing. It's just that she, those flaws, you know, they, they can come into play at any time. But I do expect her to win this one. That makes her fights more exciting. You know, she, we're talking about a quote, man. Like, Shields is, is arguably the quote. So oh, yeah, she's we, sharper, a lot sharper. We, 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 we understand what you're saying. It's like if I say, well, man, Zab Judah was quicker than Mayweather. He may have been. That don't mean that he's better. You know what I'm saying? I, you know, so I, we, we get what you're saying, sir. You know, it's no 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 need to. Thank you, sir. Uh, yeah, no, no, no need to explain that. But what, what you, you know, what's your thoughts on the, on the main event, though? You know what I mean? We already know what your prediction is, but just give us your brief, you know, synopsis of what, what to expect. Uh, I, I expect Clarissa Shields to make a statement. I mean, this is the woman who, who beat her in the amateurs. Uh, I, I think even though Shields can, can come off arrogant and, and supremely confident, I think that's her trying to rev herself up to, 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 she knows what she's in for. And she knows that even when she says all this, like Marshall doesn't hit as hard as I've been hit. She may say that, but I'm pretty sure she's, when she getting that ring, she's going to be sharp. Uh, and Marshall, you know, Marshall comes off a silent assassin, but I still think Shields is winning that mental battle. And I think Marshall, if Marshall goes in there, just, kind of just trying to, to not push the shields block off and that's it. Uh, I think that's where she's going to have trouble and that'll be her downfall. Because don't get me wrong, Samantha Marshall is very, very dangerous. And one thing to look for is that her, even though Marshall keeps her hands down and she comes off hittable, she has this weird jerky defense. It's almost like a, 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 like similar to Tyson Fury where she, she moves her head a little bit and, and, and moving out of the way of punches. Uh, and then she throws, she pops that jab out there. But I think Trisha Shields' speed and skill will be the difference in this fight, and she'll win the decision. That's what it's going to be. And, and Shields, to me, I, I hear you, sis. Talk your stuff, man. Because when they're talking about Savannah Marshall, you know, this or Savannah Marshall, that, if I'm Clarissa Shields, I'm appalled. To moi? You talking to me about her? What she, has she done? in comparison to what I've done at the pro. Only thing she can say is she beat me when I was like 16, 15 years old, when she was 19. Like, come on, dog. Like, you've seen what the work I put in. Don't, you know, belittle me like that. You know, at the very least, you know, ask me, you know, talk to me nicely when you're when you referring to the quote. You understand what I'm saying? So I can understand where she's coming from. Don't worry about people talking about that you coming off arrogant and that this girl's a silent assassin. She be saying a little slick stuff, you know. I like Marshall. I think that she's a cool customer. I think that she's a smooth operator. You know, I just can't, you know, root for against the quote. You know, I, I, I just, I just can't. And at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, when I look at each girl's style, when I eat, look at each lady's style, it's just more so that speed. Speed kills. So all of that little slick stuff that she's able to do, I think that. It's like when I saw Roy Jones fight down there in, in Biloxi, Mississippi, back in, um, I want to say it was either 1999 or 2000. When I saw that man, he was fighting against Reggie Johnson. When I saw that man throw a left hook, the man was falling down. Roy Jones was, he threw the left hook. He got out of the way of a potential punch that was coming. 
and then he was already coming back to throw another punch. That's, that's too much speed. And I don't think that Shields has that big of an advantage, but it's going to be a big enough advantage where Marshall, who's never faced anybody that quick in the pros, is going to pose some problems. And that speed is going to, going to be the determining factor. Um, also, I think that the power that, that Marshall has is real. That's a real life power right there. But also some of the ladies that she's facing already are defeated before they enter the ring. So when they get, they are already worried about the punch. So when the punch lands, it's like, oh, I'm up. so th that's part of it as well. But I think that the quote, she trains against dudes. She has enough major league training that whatever it is that she see on September 10th, it won't be anything that's going to be a huge shocker. It may be a bit of like, oh, okay, like this is probably the most powerful lady that I face, but I've faced powerful ladies before. I've faced dudes who, who have power. You know, I know how to mitigate that type of stuff. So in, when it's all said and done, I got the quote, 10 round. I'm going to say unanimous decision. Quote! <laughs> anything else, my good brother? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 entertaining to see where Clisha, how far Clisha Shields has come, and, and, you, and you said this, yeah, Clisha Shields was sixteen, about fifteen, sixteen when she lost to Savannah Marshall, um, and it was interesting watching how far she's progressed uh, since then, and even improved from her first fight to now. I, I see her get sharper and sharper, you know, as she trained. And it was interesting how. Uh, it was interesting because the first time I heard about Christian Shields, one of my, one of my, my uh, bosses where I used to work when I lived in Michigan brought her up. This is right before the uh, 2012 Olympics. So I was like, you know, let me, I'll check her out. And I was like, okay, she's pretty good. But just, you know, seeing her, because it was, it was a time period where I thought she would turn pro after uh, 2012. And she was like, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for, for uh, 2016 also. Uh, so I, it was, I wasn't 100% sure she was going to enter in, into the pro ranks. Or, you know, some people like to just, you know, live their career as an amateur and keep winning gold medals. So it was interesting when she turned pro to see where her career is gone. And, you know, I'm satisfied with what she's done. I'm pretty sure she, she wants to do more and, and get that recognition that she deserves. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's going to be bigger than this, though. You know what I mean? They're they making this out to be like a Goliath that she's facing. So I don't know what, you know, potential match that could come up that would be as big as this for her. You know, it's some smaller ladies, but... I don't think that they'll ever cross paths, but great event. I like the fight card. You know what I'm saying? That's one of the best ones, you know, we've had, I think they fought this year, you know, with the Serrano and Taylor, you know, it's a good, it's, 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 it's you know, they got the Baumgartner um, mayor. So it, man, women's boxing is, is in good hands. You know what I mean? I just want them to keep it up. You know, I'd certainly be tuned in for that one, you know, with my popcorn ready, but now, Let's go ahead and end things, Val. We got a couple topics that we like to discuss. You know, we like to um, discuss the current event and issues that's going on in the world of boxing. This week, when I looked and I saw different uh, bits of information that was being put put out there on social media, fight news, uh, ESPN, you know, and, and, and um, also boxing, I saw one story that was floating around that. And I saw a lot of fighters chiming in on this topic. And that's, you know, the pound for pound number one fighter for both of us, who is Canelo Alvarez. He says that he's not fighting any Mexicans. You know, he don't want to do that. And then the other thing is he said that if, if Bivol loses to Ramirez, you know, my man Zerto, 
that he's not going to fight Bill. But what, what do you think about that? Do you think, you know, Canelo is justified in not wanting to lace him up against Mexicans and then also not, you know, having a return match against Bill if he's not successful against Ramirez? I think it's very uh, diva-ish diva behavior and, and I'm not a big fan of it, you know, and let's talk about the Bibble issue first, saying that it's one thing to not want to want to fight Bibble and don't fight him because, of course, as a lot of people are saying that Canelo, Canelo was too small for that weight class, but the public say that, well, this guy has to beat this guy for me to fight him, even though he beat me, that's kind of, I don't know how I feel about that. I think it's just a I don't know. It just it's, it sounds it sounds like more like an excuse, and then it's even more of an excuse. So basically, you're saying if if Zerto wins, you're not gonna fight Zerto, and and that was a fight before Canelo lost to Bivol. That was a fight that I thought would be a huge fight, you know, for both guys, for for both Gilberto Ramirez and Canelo Alvarez. Um, but to say you won't you won't fight any Mexicans. Does that does that count with Mexican Americans? Does that count someone like David Benavidez? If so, he he's directly in your weight class now. It's just it's it's, it's a bad look. I mean, especially even to say it publicly. Of course, you have you know guys who, in silent, they they may not want to fight particular you know type of people or their own people or anything like that. But to publicly say it is just I mean, as a boxing fan, I'm kind of appalled by it. I mean. You you're not in this game to 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 to, to pick a, a group of people to fight. You know what I'm saying? It's like saying that I don't fight this person, fight this group of people because they have a certain style. You know, it's just I'm not a big fan of it. See that that goes to see, and and he's one of the guys who you look at who's cut most from the old cloth, and he's saying these nonsensical things. What you're supposed to do is fight who the fans want you to fight. Like, that's the biggest thing. And Lennox Lewis and those guys knew that. Like, okay, who's next? Pernell Whitaker. He knew that. It, whoever the fans, like, once you get to a certain level, it's like, who do the fans want me to fight? I don't care. It's like what Adrian Broner said. Anybody can't get it. It don't matter. Because I'm that dude. They can't beat me. And that's the mentality that you want in a fighter, not oh, I won't fight these, these guys over here. And I don't even like that friendly stuff. Like when they be like, oh, no, that's my boy. I can't, nah, dog. if y'all in the same weight class, it's a check out there, y'all prize fighting, we ain't doing that. Y'all got to go ahead and get it on. Now, if you brothers and stuff like that, then that's understandable. But nah, man, that's that's an unfortunate statement. Now, to get to the, 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 the nitty gritty though, I think that it's a couple of reasons why he's doing it. One, is a lot of times when you fighting somebody who's like um, Mexican on Mexican, or if it's a black fighter on black fighter, that might make it tougher as far as how much that person is gonna be willing to go through in order to get that victory. I remember, I'm, I'm gonna make a, 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 an example, right? So I remember, I had my boy, man. He was like one of the coldest basketball players in the city as far as scoring. You know what I mean? Um, he, was, he was cold. But I remember we played on the summer league team. And when I looked at the schedule, we had this one team on there. And I'm counting it as a victory. I'm like, oh, man, that's an easy one right there. That's right there. It's going to be a tough. Because they had all the dudes who were like top 
D1 guys on this one team. You know what I mean? They had, all, you know, then you had the other the team we were about to play after that. They didn't have any, they just had the dudes who lived in that neighborhood on that team, no recruits or anything like that. And I'm looking, I'm like, these dudes, they barely even, um, I don't even know they're going to win a game. You know what I'm saying? With that squad. When he looked at it, he was like, and I didn't share what it is I'm telling you. I'm just like, when I'm looking at it, that's what I'm thinking. And so when he, he said, oh man, that's going to, he said, all right, we, that one right there, that's going to be a tough game. And then he mentioned that team. He was like, oh, that's going to be tough. I was like, why you say that? He was like, oh man, we all grew up together. Man, they're going to be playing their heart out. So that's, to me, that's the same thing that Canelo is understanding if he faces somebody like a Ramirez. Like, it's going to be more at stake than just, you know, him fighting somebody, you know, who's from somewhere else because of the connection to Mexico. Like, they know that they can't go back and not put everything into that particular fight, as well as the high skill level is, what you know, there as well. The other thing, Canelo, a bigger issue is that, I don't think Canelo wants to lose his fan base because if if he loses to Bivol, Bivol's from Russia, right? He still is nobody in Mexico currently that can say they've done what Canelo has done. So even if he loses somebody like that who's one of the top light heavyweights anyway and nobody else has beaten him or done anything like I've done in my career, I got the whole fan base online, no matter how much people hate, I still got that, um, that, that, that ability to say that I'm still a dude. But now if you mess around and lose to Gilberto Ramirez, then a lot of your fans are going to move towards him. Like he's representing us. And I think that Canelo is unwilling to risk that, you know, against somebody that's, that's a countryman. And then the other thing too, as far as Benavidez, Benavidez is not really Mexican, though. He's really Mex he's really American. And his mother is Ecuadorian, which he lived with her for most of his life. So he has more of a connection there with the United States and you know Ecuador than he does Mexico, really. So I don't understand when he says that he needs to be a little bit more specific. And if he's more specific and said, I'm not fighting those two guys in addition to Bilbo, then it's just going to make it look even worse. You know what I mean? So anything else you got on that before we go to the last topic? No, sir. Yeah, that's just that's unfortunate. I hate to hear that from Canelo. I might have to, when it comes to the smoke category, he might get a negative one now. You understand what I'm saying? Other powerful powers. Now, last topic is your boy Tank Tank. Tank Davis, you know, he got into a Twitter, you know, spat with Devin Haney. And Tank was saying that Haney is trying to steal his style and all of that type of stuff. And it even got to the point where Steven Espinoza, one of the execs at Showtime, had to get involved in this little Twitter beef that they had going on. Um, did you get a chance to take a look at any of that, that stuff that was going on? And if you did, what are your thoughts on, on, on this Twitter beef? It's funny because I, I did look at some of the stuff that was said. I don't normally just follow you know Twitter and start looking at everything but I'm, my opinion is like look either y'all gonna fight or y'all not gonna fight i don't i'm not i don't want to hear two boxers you know twitter beefing with each other at least you're gonna be beef in person talk talk some trash to, to each other's face like you know maybe i'm old school like how someone like james tony and and, and and roy jones and Bernard hopkins how they used to do you know at least get on split screen and start talking that stuff out man 
beefing over like your computer and all that and typing all that words and especially when 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 they be using bad English and bad grammar, it, it's this is kind of lame to me. You know, either fight or don't fight. And it's one interesting thing I want to bring up too is we we talked about you know Canelo not wanting to fight Mexican fighters. I can't think of one African American fighter that Geronte Davis has faced or even that Devin Haney has faced. And I don't know if that's you know pure coincidence or uh, you know availability. I don't know, but you know, both guys been calling each other out. Uh, I remember when Tevin Farmer was calling Tank out. Uh, I remember when uh, a weight, a couple of weight classes below, <laughs> when uh, Mr. Gary Russell Jr. was calling both of them out. You know, I just find that interesting that neither guy. I can't really. I would have to really look in YouTube and see, outside of, of course, their sparring and amateur careers. What African American fighters they they fought, you know, I can't really think of any, uh, but I do think that's just you know Twitter beef is just lame, especially for Javante Davis. It's like, dude, you in this guy's weight class, right? He's a unified champion, and you don't want to fight him. You rather just go over Twitter beef, talk about him stealing your style. We got your belts, so what you gonna do about it? I mean, he got your belts, you know what I'm saying? You either win those belts or don't say nothing. You know, if you if you want to go to 140, then go to 140. He said he didn't want to fight at 140. Now he's at 135. That's the champion. Devin Haynes is the champion. I don't get it. Maybe it's this, this, this new breed or something like that. I don't know where people would be in the same weight class with somebody. This somebody has the belts and you don't want to fight them. You know what I'm saying? Either fight them or don't do nothing or step out of the way and let somebody else do it. It's the bottom line. The bottom line is this, is that Devin Haney is the unified, well, unify, he's the undisputed champ at lightweight. All roads should lead to Devin Haney. And so I don't blame Devin Haney one iota because he's the one who's trying to get these dudes to fight. He was trying to fight Ryan Garcia. Ryan Garcia, who had the direct link to being able to fight him because he was the number one guy, decided not to go in that direction. Lomachenko didn't want to fight him when he had, he relinquished one of his belts in order for him to get the WBC belt that he had. You had T.O. who changed his mind once he got the belt. Cambosas didn't want to fight him, but then Lomachenko had this situation with his country. They were saying that, you know, we can have, you got to fight somebody with a name, you know, if you're going to fight here in Australia. So he had, he was basically forced to fight against Devin Haney. And that's how Devin Haney ended up with the belts. You can't sit up here and just keep talking noise about somebody and not say, well, let's go ahead and fight, punk. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you, you can't do it. You keep talking all of this noise, then you go and fight Roly Romero. You keep talking all of this noise, then you fight Mario Barrios. You keep talking all of this noise and Pitbull Cruz, I'm going to say it again. That was really a cherry pick. It's just Pitbull Cruz fought a lot better than most people anticipated. And he's probably a lot better than most people thought that he was going into that fight. But you look at the resume and you say Pedraza, like that's a better win. Nah, I don't think it is a better win now. I think it's, it is what it is. Pedraza's a good fighter, but he's not. And I don't even know if they knew what Pedraza was when they got in the ring with him. But you can't keep going around. And you can because they're allowing him to do it. And people just want to see him. He's done everything um, that you shouldn't do in order to be able to 
um, generate his fan base. Like, and that's just the way, that's the nature of the beast now. Like now it's, you can go ahead and get your whole bunch of followers on, you know, like YouTube. You can have something that you do well. He has a, he, he has the charisma. He has like the punching power um, to be able to, you know, draw in those who he's drawing in. But just like knowledgeable people in a sport know that you haven't done anything yet, sir. Like you really haven't. And to keep pulling this car of the fact that I'm the A side or whatever it is that you're saying, and like you the you the cash cow of the division and all that type of stuff, that's cool and everything. But at the end of the day, a lot of times what the cash cow still when it comes to Canelo, right? And and like I said, that's what's this 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 disappointment about what Canelo's doing now is that typically the cash cows, and I keep going referencing back, I used to hear like they would ask them guys, Roy Jones, who you fight next? It don't matter. You know, you line them up, I'd knock them down. They used to ask Oscar De La Hoya, even though this dude was the golden boy taking on all of these challenges. Uh, Pernell Whitaker, you know what I'm saying? Like these dudes ain't even no, they're not even close to being anything like that is just so fabricated now. And it's so unfortunate that that's what like really, you can't really truly get behind some of these guys because they keep picking the twos. Now at the end of the day, what's going to happen that cherry pick gonna go wrong, you know, at one of these points in times, you know, when he, when he chooses some of these guys because he's not honing his skills against the top level guys. And it's unfortunate, I do not, have any problem with what Devin Haney's doing. Devin Haney is saying that, okay, he could have got out of the Cambosis fight if they would have signed to fight him now. And so now what they're saying is, well, Tank is going to fight at this time. He's fighting in October. So, no, they said Tank is going to fight in December. And that since he's fighting in October, that they can't fight. Devin Haney is like, man, I can fight him in December after I go ahead and finish up with Cambosis. It don't matter. And they still trying to figure out ways you know, not to get it done. So it's unfortunate. They plan that Floyd Mayweather, the money Mayweather role, but they haven't allowed him to be pretty boy. And pretty boy was taking on all challenges. So it's just an unfortunate situation. Anything else you got regarding that Twitter, Twitter beef? The yeah. Twi the, the Twitter tweet. Yeah, I go tweet over Twitter, man. At least spell your words right, man. Maybe I'm getting old. But I, I just can't see past it when I, when I read stuff that I can't read because it don't make grammatical sense and it's not the words not spelled correctly. Spell your yeah. words right. Yeah, getting you riled up when it comes to uh, punctuations and not being able to spell. You know that right there. I would. Hey, if you just say let's fight and you spell everything wrong, at least you say let's fight. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's the only thing. I'm let's fit. <laughs> Yeah, let's fizz. Like, oh, okay, he made let's fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, we'd be happy. But you sitting up here, he trying to steal my style. He he don't make as much money as me. Like y'all talking about everything else, but let's fight. And they ain't rappers, man. Like, like they try like they rappers, man. Yeah, man, that's that's true, man. But uh, yeah, another good episode, my brother. Anything else you got before we wrap this one up? Uh, no, sir. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we are gonna go ahead and and call it a day. You know, I think right there, we just dropped the bomb, you know, like a one-arm wide receiver. You understand what I'm saying? So on that note, you all have a great week. Hopefully you enjoyed your Labor Day. And we out. Peace. Peace.